Bill Russell is arguably one of the best basketball players of all time, maybe the best. His team, the Boston Celtics, won the championship 11 of his 13 years with them. It's pretty astonishing, actually. More rings than he has fingers for. I read an article about him years ago. The author was sitting with Bill watching some old footage, I guess, of uh, Bill's games when he was in college. I think it was the University of San Francisco. He was somewhat astonished to hear Bill describe the plays before they came up. He knew what was coming up. He remembered that well what the games were all about. He remembered who he was playing against. He remembered how the play went. It's pretty astonishing. Again and again. Turns out uh, Bill claims to have had total recall of all the plays of all the games that he was in. What? I know, crazy. Uh, this is Tim Patterson. This is my podcast slash video blog trade show guy, Monday Morning Coffee. This little show has been going on for about three years now. Quite an archive of great interview subjects. You should check them out. we got another one uh, for you today. Uh, my earliest memory is when I was three years old. Uh, our family was on vacation. I was asleep on the back seat. This is back before they actually probably had seat belts in, in the back seat. We pulled up to a stop and I woke up and I saw a stoplight. I said, and I was three years old, I said, Mom, where are we? And she says, New York, you can go back to sleep. And I laid down and went back to sleep. Now, at this point, that's a memory of a memory of a memory. I, you know, I did. For years, I thought, well, that's my earliest memory because someone asked me that question, what's your earliest memory? Memory is an interesting thing. Back to Bill Russell. I've tried to track down that story, but frankly, I have had no luck. Uh, I just am going from memory, I know. But as the story goes, Bill's memory was so clear on the games he played through the years, he could tell you the play as they happened, one after the other. I've always thought I have a pretty good memory, but, you know, ask me what I had for dinner last night or last week. I would have a, you know, I'd have to think about it. Might struggle with it. Exceptional memory, often called total recall or eidetic memory, is the ability to remember specific events, including trivial details about an event or day, you know, down to the point of, Remembering what people wore or what the weather was at the time, what day of the week it was 30 years ago. I don't know if Bill Russell uh, has that memory. Uh, there's another basketball player, by the way, LeBron James, also known for his memory. It's been said that he has total recall for basketball plays and players and has used that to anticipate how a team will react in the game because he'll be in the huddle and saying, you know, Last time I saw them react in this situation with seven seconds on the clock and they had seen people on the floor. This is what they did. This is how we defend against us. So, in, uh, you know, I don't know if he has eidetic memory or not either. But, you know, they have passion for their game and maybe that's a part of it. Um, <laughs> you know, I do have a pretty good memory of, of, of things when I was a kid growing up, um, what happened in my childhood, uh, for example. But there have been times when I've been sitting around with my brothers and we'll be talking about it. Because, you know, when you're an old guy, you like to talk about when you were young. <laughs> and one of my brothers will say, do you remember when we did that? And I'll go, no, I don't remember that at all. He'll say, I remember you did such and such and such. And I go, I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, obviously all our memories are going to be different. It's also been said that memory is often inaccurate in that we will think we remember something specific that happened to us when we were younger, but it turns out the memory is false. might have come from a movie or it might have been someone else's memory that you're thinking was yours but someone told you about it and you think you know over the years you just kind of internalized that so how's your memory well here's something to stick in your memory it's this week's interview with uh, marketing expert and author francis friedman new book out called the modern digital trade show fun interview and we even find out at the beginning uh, that francis goes back to the madmen days so uh here's how it went 
I want to welcome Francis Friedman to the podcast this morning. Uh, Francis, I really appreciate you spending some time here. Uh, you are an author of the, uh, a new book called Modern Digital Trade Show, and also uh, your company, I believe, is Time and Place Strategies. But before we get to that, you mentioned kind of in the green room there that uh, some of the stuff you'd done on Madison Avenue, you were actually one of the madmen way back when. Is that, is that, is that correct? I went to the uh, Kellogg Graduate School of Management at Northwestern University and got an MBA in marketing and production. And from there, went to Madison Avenue and started at Ogilvy as a trainee and worked my way through the different trainee parts and then started as a, an assistant account executive and worked my way up to vice president management supervisor, managing major important consumer packaged goods brands like Folgers Coffee and Jiffy Pop Popcorn and Goulden's Mustard. So I'm a classic packaged goods branded <laughs> marketing uh, executive, if you that will. Goes, so that goes way back. So uh, like a little post Don Draper era, sounds like, huh? Yeah, something like that. But Very So I brought branding to the trade show industry. At the time that I joined the Interface Group as Vice President of Corporate Development, branding had not really come to formal branding and classic branding and not really come to the trade show industry. Right. So my responsibilities at the Interface Group were to build the Comdex brand as a global brand and to expand the Comdex brand around the world. So I started negotiating deals in different countries. We ended up producing, co-locating a Comdex Europe at the CCOG show in Paris. And then I also had the new show development responsibility because I had launched a lot of uh, consumer packaged goods products. And then I also had the merger and acquisition uh, activity, looking for deals that we would potentially do and add to that portfolio. So that gave me a lot of uh, uh, reach, if you will, within the industry, because I was out talking to organizers and uh, all of the different aspects of the industry in that role. Then from there, I came in and set this business up as an independent consultant to help organizers to help uh, the various features uh, within our industry. So I've had every segment of the industry as a client from uh, facilities to uh, general service contractors to for-profits, not-for-profits, exhibitors, um, just a very comprehensive approach. How do you build the brand? Why should people consume it? I mean, that's the basic question. If you look at any of my speeches, the question I ask is, why should I? What is so important about what you do that I have to have it. Well, that's interesting. You say, why should I? It's kind of the same question that, uh, that, uh, that Seth Godin always says, what is it for? So why should I? What is it for? And I think those are very good questions to ask when you're talking about marketing. So you moved into the trade show world years ago, and uh, you, you also have a book out. I don't know, is this the last year, a year or two that you've got this book, uh, The Modern Digital yeah, about the last, that's the book. It's about the last 14 months it came out. It took okay. uh, two years of writing. It's a 300-page book, well-documented. If you look at the back, you'll see we've got 20 pages of footnotes. And it, I'll, I'll try the Larry King approach. Larry's question was, what's the book about? <laughs> the book is about how our industry has to transform itself from an analog business to a 24-7 digital business. Uh, having a show once a year, spending all of that time, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, is no longer going to survive. We need to be 24-7. We have the tools today, the digital tools, but our industry has not yet reviewed itself, if you will, as to what business we're in. Uh, and that's one of the important questions we need to look at today also. Well, one of the things I think of when I, and I blogged about, um, I don't really have a lot of insight into this, but just from an outside observer and looking at how people use social media and how they do trade shows, I always recommend get a lot of photos, get a lot of videos and stuff and use that more than just during the trade show. Use it around 
the you know around the, the clock around the year so that you're uh, utilizing those assets is that kind of what you're talking about are you are you looking uh, obviously more in depth maybe what do you think i'm looking at more there actually you can make there's two decisions to be made are you a curator of are you a curator of booths or do you own the content of your industry and you provide it in every way that you possibly can trade shows being just one of them right so that do you do webinars do you do conferences do you do whatever what do you do so if we look at many of the startup digital companies they now have a trade show but they view themselves as being in the digital information business so, do so they're, they're kind of coming at it from a they're kind of coming at it from a different angle so they're backing into because they don't have that trade show experience but they know they've got to do some face-to-face -face marketing along with all the stuff they've been doing for a long time the, the digital sure, because they've built a community a digital community providing high value information so the question of why should i is why should i be part of your website because you provide high value information that i value and oh by the way now that you're providing that i'd like to meet you also at your annual meeting where you give me three days of the inside of what's going on and i get to meet uh people who are providing technology via booths and, and I, I remember 10 15 years ago i got into, into the trade show world here probably about 17 years ago and digital was coming on board people were blogging and social media came on and, and the, the question was raised uh you know will that replace trade shows and there was a kind of the kind of this sort of industry angst a little bit well gosh trade shows might just start to slip now i think they're doing pretty well uh, I think digital is a big part of that. It doesn't replace them, but I've just come to the conclusion uh, is that in spite of all the digital connections we have, people want to meet face-to-face. -face. That's kind of the way we are as humans. Would you agree? We do. And in this up, and I've been through this industry in four downturns in the economy. And we know in the downturn in the economy, the question for the people that um, sign, sign the checks for the attendees is, why do you need to go there? Or why do we need to send three people to that show? Why don't we send one person to that show? Right. So if the trade show metrics are uh, attendee count, then the question that the uh, industry needs to look at is, are we providing enough value in the face-to-face -to, -face to substitute for digital and one person going to the show rather than three people going to the show? So I'm looking, I, some of the work that I've done has been in the retail sector. Um, so if we look at retail today, stores are closing like crazy. There was just a notice on uh, the internet this morning that Bed Bath & Beyond is closing 60 stores. Yikes. I was looking at a website yesterday that major chains like JCPenney, um, Neiman Marcus, all of these stores, these store groups, well-known brands, shopping experiences, again, retail is a shopping experience, Seriously, are looking yeah. at potential problems. So the question that I'm looking at as we move to the future is, <clears throat> is the experience worth the cost for the people that send attendees versus going online and having digital interaction? So let me go out on a limb for yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> Let me go on a way big limb for you here. AI, which we know is artificial intelligence, allows a company, for example, to go out and search for things just using AI criteria. Find me all of the companies that generate the kind of widget I'm looking for. So if I can AI shop the internet, 
maybe five years from now, there will be a show that's only AI. In other words, the show organizer won't hold a physical show, but they'll hold a show to bring all of the manufacturers and all of the specifications, all those thick catalogs mm -hmm. together in one internet site, and people will shop the site AI and pay them for that. 24-7, 365. It's not a one-time event a year, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your book, uh, The Modern Digital Trade Show. Um, you know, I guess, as a is this written for exhibitors or for organizers or just anyone who's in that world at this point? The entire industry. Yeah. It's written for the entire industry, both domestically and globally. I'm fortunate to be able to present it uh, in presentations I'm doing overseas. So it's a global issue. So what are some of the big challenges that uh, you're addressing or hoping to uh, help address uh, some of the, the exhibitors that, that have it that get into this industry or are still in it and, and facing these challenges? We're in a 24-7 business and we need to add compelling value to that in order to stay there. We're no longer the only option out there. I mean, post-World War II, we had what I call the fort trade show. The only place you could get it is inside the walls of the fort. Now the walls of the fort are down. I can get anything I want, any place I want, anytime I want, and any vendor is willing to ship it to me in the configuration that I want it. We know also that most professional buyers today, they know 60 or 70% of the information before they either meet face-to-face -face or they come to a trade show. So the trade show industry today is also having to look at how do we create novelty? How do we create uniqueness? How do we package education such that it has value that people are willing to spend the time and money to have it? And you also have a chapter in there that kind of caught my eye, which is uh, called Hacking the Trade Show Industry Model. Explain what you mean by that. Trade Show Industry says you got to go to this place to see this stuff. So hacking it says I don't have to go anywhere to see anything I want to have. All I need it's to all do right is here. Go, yeah, come on down. <laughs> you know, put that keyboard out there. And more and more with Gen Z, for example, and the lower end of the millennials, it's all on a handset. They live on a handset. So all I need to do is, today especially with a voice program, find me widget A in green, size 2.5. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need yeah. to do anything. Look at what's happening with retail. Again, uh, you want your uh, McDonald's? Great. Call up some local service group and they will bring it to you from McDonald's, even though McDonald's is a drive through place. <laughs> right. It, they got the Uber Eats and Lyft Eats and all that stuff you don't have to, which frankly right. I've never done. I can't, I, I, if I'm going to go out to eat, I'm going to go out to eat, right? <laughs> right. And uh, I was just uh, switching through TV. The cooking shows now have a a program 24-7 on the ingredients that you need for a specific dish and they teach you how to do it. So the video that they shot showed a laptop or, a, or an iPad rather sitting on the kitchen table walking the consumer through how to prepare that meal and the local vendor that will provide the exact supplies necessary for that particular meal. We also know that because most companies have websites and they also have uh, sales agents who are on top of you immediately. So if you type something into a website saying, I'm really interested in this, there's a sales rep that calls you immediately. That's happened to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so, so uh, go I'm ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Tim. After well, you. I, I was going to say for individual exhibitors, uh, you know, I've seen some interesting things. I've, I've maintained that one thing uh, an exhibitor can do, well, there's a number of things. Um, if they're going to, you know, build more than just their single appearance at a show, they can, they can promote it ahead of time. A webinar I've always suggested. I actually think I've seen, I've seen that done once or twice. I've seen specific landing pages for uh, a company at a specific show. You know, the people can come in and see what that company is going to do. They can sign up for appointments and things like that. I don't see that done a lot, but I think that's one way they can do it. And all, as well as what I mentioned earlier, all the post-show stuff. I've also seen, in fact, I had him on the podcast here earlier this year, uh, a guy with a company who goes into these bigger exhibits and does – uh, VR versions of the uh, of the sh of the the exhibit itself, and and puts these highlights on all of various parts, so that you can actually browse the exhibit and and watch videos and things, all from the comfort of your your computer after the show, long after the show, it'll just stay there online. Right. Uh, so that's some, well, another way of doing it to expand that that simple you know two or three or four day event, uh, build up to it as well as hold it afterwards until next year comes around. I think that's one way. And that's what I sense you're talking about uh, for an individual exhibitor. Anyway. It's part of it, but also what can you do pre-show? Um, uh, yeah. I've got 25 thoughts in one mouth. So <laughs> I know the feeling. One of the things that the organizer can do is to video the show and can set up as a post-show benefit for exhibiting continuing marketing uh, materials for each exhibitor or for exhibitors that sign up for it so I've seen some show organizers say we've got 25 spots for exhibitors who want us to come in and video an interview and then we will set up a post-show show where we then extend your reach so coming back to traditional media it's reach and frequency so if I have the show, I have a reach of, let's say, 30,000 people that actually show up. But if I put it on media, I can then extend the reach for the exhibitor and for the show to millions. Exactly. Yeah. So with public relations and with pay-space media and with e-media, the reach of that show and the relative importance of that show can be extended dramatically. I've gotten some ideas that, yeah, as you say, there's lots of things going on in my head and only have one mouth. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's why we have so much fun together, Tim. I know. Francis, uh, you know, you know, I talked years ago, 10 or 12 or more years ago. I know we've had a connection and then we kind of drifted apart. But in the green room, you mentioned that you also grew up as a skier. Uh, I'm a skier. So do you have you, when's the last time you were on skis? Do you remember? Uh, a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, I've had some medical issues that have oh. kept me off the, off the slopes. Well, I hope you get back on at some point. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up now. I want to uh, ask you, where can people get your, your book, The Modern Digital Trade Show? What's the best way to get that? They can get that here. I happen to put that together for your audience. Perfect. It's, free download, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a free download. ModernDigitalTradeShow.com. That makes it pretty easy, Francis. Right, right. There's a lot in there. It's 300 pages. And if there's nothing more than get people to think about things, then certainly it's worthwhile. There's a lot of dialogue out there. Things are changing quickly. So more dialogue, more thinking, more planning. We're all plus, plus, plus. Is that the best place to, 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 to contact you as well? Or do you have another site? Francis, Francis at. Francis at, okay, Francis at. Gotcha. Right. Cool. We'll make sure we put links on our show notes and all that. Francis, a pleasure to chat with you. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Glad to catch up with you. You betcha. Take care. 
All right. Thanks again to Francis Friedman for chatting with us on this week's Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee, this week's Trade Show Tip. Something we talked about uh, during the interview, I want to kind of expand on it, and that is uh, when you're at a trade show, shoot a lot of video. Take a lot of pictures. Shoot video of demonstrations. uh, Get testimonials of people. uh, Get video of booth visitors. Get as much as you can possibly think of. If your management is is on a panel or something, get video of that. If they're giving a presentation, get video of that. Uh, Repurpose the footage after the show on social media, the company website, YouTube, uh, whatever you can think of. Uh, the idea is to make sure that you keep the show alive as long as you can, as long as it makes sense. Uh, you know, shoot photos of your exhibit, uh, of your competitors' exhibits, so you can remember those. You may not want to use them uh, in public, uh, but you you will remember them. Uh, pictures of your crowded booth, of people interacting with your booth staff, you know, looking at or sampling your products, taking demonstrations. Really, I think when it comes to shooting photos or video, you can't do enough. And then make sure as the weeks and months go by after the show that you use them in some fashion that helps people remember you and remember your appearance at the show. And as you get closer to next year's three or four day event, uh, you're building up anticipation for your appearance at that show as well. Uh, This week's one good thing before we wrap up is the website soundcloud.com. I actually host this podcast on SoundCloud, but the site is is often known, generally known more as a hub for breaking music. Thousands of artists, many of them totally unknown, post their stuff there. Uh, Many famous artists put their stuff there. They're trying out, put different mixes of things there that you might not catch on some of their officially released stuff. Uh, Great place to find music. People create mixed lists. You can search by genre, so much more. So I would check out soundcloud.com if you're looking for good music. All right, that's a wrap for this week's Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Uh, Head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a thumbs up, even write a review if you are enjoying this as well. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for checking it out. And do it again next week.